This is Top Shelf, the KIJHL podcast. I'm Mark Berry. Our hockey world was devastated last Sunday on news that Princeton Posse assistant coach Morton Johnston had passed away in a motor vehicle accident on the same day as Game 6 of the Okanagan Shushwap Conference Finals. Mort was just 25 years old. Initially, there were thoughts of postponing the game in Revelstoke, but after discussions with the Johnston family, the game went forward after a bit of a delay. The posse came from behind and defeated the Grizzlies 2-1 to capture the conference championship and advance to the Tech Cup Finals. Morton Johnston played four seasons with his hometown posse, 168 total games, 30 goals, 42 assists for 72 points and 241 penalty minutes. Tim Hogg is the voice of the Summerlands team. He's been around the KIJHL for a long time. Tim remembers Mort the player very well. Yeah, I mean, he was he was around for four full years almost with the Princeton Posse, and I've obviously been around the league a long time. I had a chance to be around for all four of those years that Morton was a part of their team, and quite frankly, Morton was the heart and soul of their team in a lot of cases. You know, just a really fiery competitor that never never wavered in the way that he played the game of hockey, and I think that was the case all the way up until most recently when he was playing with the, uh, with the Penticton Silver Bullets. You mentioned the Silver Bullets. uh, The manager from the Silver Bullets called him a glue guy. Was that your take as well? Absolutely, absolutely. He's the guy that you. uh, He's he's a guy that you hate to play against and and hate to see on an opposing roster. But you absolutely can't wait to have a guy like that on your hockey team, and you know that he'll go to battle for each and every one of his teammates every single night. And uh, I think you know, as a coach this year, you could see that that was the case uh, for him with his players also. Uh, and I know you're going to be speaking in this podcast with Mark McNaughton of the Princeton Posse. I'm sure he'll tell you something similar. But, you know, even if it was too toothless, there was always a smile on his face. And uh, he was always ready to go to battle. You know, that's clear in the pictures that you see of him. He, he enjoyed what he was doing. A tough customer, though, wasn't he? Absolutely. You know, in, the most, in most recent years, obviously, he's been playing with Silver Bullets. He also played some senior, senior lacrosse, excuse me, in the last couple of years. He's, he's never been shy on that on that type of play uh, in any sports, and, and that's what he did best, and that's why everybody loved him so much, I think. Tim Hogg is the voice of the Summerlands team and a longtime KIJHL broadcaster. Mark McNaughton is the general manager of the Princeton Posse. Mark, my condolences. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Mort, the player. You coached him. Describe how Morton approached the game of hockey. Mort was always an exciting, exciting player to have around, and you know so much, uh, so much passion for the game and and love for his teammates. You know loyalty to to his hometown program, and you know it's it's always special when you you have uh, young men come into a program that they, you know they they know more about the the early years of the the posse tradition here, and and you know those those hometown kids always have a an extra layer of pride to to their game, and and that was. Uh, you know, certainly evident every day in, in Mort as, as a hockey player for the for the posse. We were just talking with Tim Hogg, the voice of the Summerland team, who's been around forever, and he described uh, uh, as Mort as the type of player that you absolutely hated coming into your building, but you just love to have him on your team. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you know that's certainly a sentiment we we've heard over the years, and and. And all that, I, you know, I had the pleasure of, of having him on my side. And, 
you know, he was always a pleasure to coach. He, like I said, he, he, he was full of passion and, and pride for the, the club he was playing for and, and loyalty to his teammates. You know, the tenacious player that, that the other side didn't want to play against, you know, really stemmed from, from his love for his teammates and, and, you know, is never more going out and, and finding something or, or, you know, getting extra physical for himself. It was always, you know, to help out his team and, and make sure the, the players around him were feeling as, as comfortable to play the game as, as they could. And, you know, he was the, the first guy to jump in if, if one of his teammates was, was getting harassed and, and usually, uh, you know, by the end of his career, that was usually enough for for Mort to give somebody a, a look or a, a quick comment and and shut it all down. And you know, the the rest of the posse were were lucky to have him. You know, Mort uh, was in his first season as an assistant coach, and from what I've heard, that tenaciousness, that uh, standing up for his teammates, also applied to his charges, the guys on the team this year's uh, posse. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, you know, that, that leadership in, in Mort grew over the years. And, you know, prior to coaching coaching in our program, he spent uh, a couple of years coaching uh, our uh, Bantam rep program here as well. And, he, you know, a, a young man who, who just had a real uh, knack for, for understanding how to, how to get the most out of players and, and how to make sure they, you know, they learn how to how to stand up for one another and and come together as as a team, and it, you know that that certainly stemmed into his time here as a, as a coach for for our program. You know, Mort was uh, working full time and and driving up to games wherever we were going and and doing whatever he could, and and you know that commitment that he showed to to our group really uh, you know was not lost on our players. They they all knew exactly what he was uh, what he was doing there. He was there to help them and and help the program continue to, to have success. So, It's been a very difficult week for the organization. How are the boys doing? Uh, it, it's a heavy one, right? And and it's not something, uh, you know, I've said this a few times this week, there's no, there's no playbook for, for what uh, what these guys are going through, the highs and lows at the same time. It's not lost on you know our staff and, and extended program and, and organization, just how uh, historic this season has been for our program. And, and you know, it's a, it's a shame that, that they're going through, you know, this tragedy at the same time, but it's, it's one of those eye-opening experiences for them, and and you know they're they're all they're all fantastic young young men, and and you know they're they're dealing with it all in their own way, but they're also dealing with it as as that collective of the of the team. Princeton is a, a small community, a close-knit community. You're part of that community. How's the community at large dealing with this? As any small town would, right? Uh, you know, more. Uh, was involved in the hockey community and the minor hockey community, the the men's league hockey, the, the local slow pitch, and and every other thing going on in town. Right? He's a guy with a lot of friends. He's a guy with a big and and proud family, and and a guy who uh, you know really did uh, make an impact on on so many of us. Right? And you know the community is doing everything we can to to manage uh, this loss and and make sure that you know everybody that that is feeling. Uh, this loss they're they're all supported and and especially the Johnston family obviously five years with the organization one is a coach four is a player Uh, you've been there when you think of Morton Johnston what do you think Uh, he he is he is bossy yeah you know he we were told a story the other day about uh you know one of the early seasons of of the posse and and Mort uh being invited into the locker room as as a young kid and and one of the players standing up and you know, introducing Mort to everybody and saying, 
this is what we're doing this for and, and giving those young guys that that opportunity and and I think Mort's uh, you know Mort's love for for the Posse program you never faltered right like right from from those young years as a fan and and hoping that one day he could could play for the team and then being so proud to to wear the Posse jersey and and do things the right way as a player and and ultimately here in in these last months as as a coach for the team you hope the world has a has people like that do have that deep connection to an organization and and I know that's you know not unique to us but it certainly is is something that is never lost on on us and and how fortunate we were to to have that uh in our program Mark McNaughton is the general manager of the Princeton Posse my understanding is that there'll be a celebration of life for Morton Johnston on Sunday afternoon in Princeton. This is Top Shelf, the KIJHL podcast. I'm Mark Berry. This week on the podcast, man, as Chase Regan stepped up for his Kimberly Dynamiters, Emmanuel Sequera talks with him about the season and the playoffs. Then Emmanuel and I chat about the Nitrous and the Posse as they head into the Tech Cup Finals. The Chase Heat recently changed up their logo. We'll learn the backstory. The Cyclone Taylor Cup is just weeks away in Revelstoke. To get a perspective on the other leagues and who will be represented, I talk with PJHL broadcaster Andrew Chevery of the Ridge Meadow Flames and VIJHL broadcaster Kyle Ireland of the Oceanside Generals. But first, former Creston Valley Thundercat Jake Livingstone has signed a one-year contract with the NHL Nashville Predators. We'll have more on this on our next episode. Up next on Top Shelf, the KIJHL podcast, Cash Regan of the Kimberly Dynamite. Picking it up is Abley. He's got Barr with him. Barr takes the pass across the blue line. He loses the puck. Now it's Cash Regan one-on-one, and he's got Miller coming up with him. Goal! Regan! I'm joined by Kimberly Dynamiters forward Cash Regan. Cash, welcome to Top Shelf, the KIJHL podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me here. Congratulations to you and your teammates on uh, clinching the Kootenai Conference uh, Championship and advancing to the Tech Cup final. Uh, what's that like? It, it's crazy, especially with uh, everything that we've gone through as a team. And then obviously this being my second year and uh, and not getting through last year, it, uh, you know, it, it feels unreal, honestly. Because, yeah, talk about what was that series like against Beaver Valley? It wasn't what I had expected. Obviously, they play very different from our previous series with Fernie there, so it was a little bit of an adjustment there. But honestly, it, it, it wasn't what I was expecting at all. With the Fernie series, uh, they were they moved the puck well. Uh, obviously, they took us to seven games, and, and that, w- that was a grind there for sure. And I think that that helped us going into, into the Beaver Valley series and, and not having a bunch of days off and, and a break there. Uh, and just hopping right in when when we're rolling and, and everybody's clicking and, and things are just doing really good for us. So yeah, it was it was good to finish those guys off in, in four and as fast as we could and, and uh, just get some rest for some guys that are hurt and guys that are sick and uh, get ready for this final final series here. What's this quest for the tech happen like for you guys? It's just a crazy experience honestly and way different than my experience from last year. Uh, obviously, 
with having Golden in the first round last year, we finished them off in four, and, and we were we were fine having them in the first round, and so we got that done in five, and that, and that was no problem. And then uh, just came out a little bit flat in this uh, second round against Fernie, so went through some adversity there and needed to battle back, and so finishing that one in seven was uh, on it. after the game. I I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe what we had just done. Finishing off round three right away was, I, I think, honestly, everybody's just clicking uh, at a super high rate, and and things are things are rolling very smoothly for us. So uh, uh, been, it's been crazy. It's been a crazy ride, up and down, lots of emotions. As you guys get ready to face Princeton uh, in the Tech Cup final, what are the things that you guys really like about the way that you're playing? Playing with lots of speed, uh, really aggressive and, and on the puck and uh, holding possession in zone and, and getting lots of chances everywhere. And I think that our uh, depth in the lineup has, has really helped us. Lots of depth scoring from uh, not only our, our top guys, but everybody's contributing and everybody's doing all the right things. What do you like about the way that you've been playing in these playoffs? I'd like to, to pot a couple more pucks in here uh, in this next series. But honestly, I, I've been... I've been playing well. Uh, I've been battling some other things here and there, like weird sicknesses that I've that I've gotten. But uh, I think I've handled it well and and really produced and and given the team what what they expect from me. So, what are the things that you bring to the Dynamers that makes you a valuable and important piece of the team? My speed is is a major key. I'm a guy that loves to skate with the puck and but use that speed and drive D D Y. I think that I, I, I got a pretty good shot and uh, pretty good vision and uh, really aggressive and tenacious on the puck. During the regular season, you're producing at over a point a game clip. You're almost like that as well in the playoffs, like this playoffs obviously included. You have 25 points in 31 games. Like what have you noticed has been the difference in play from the regular season to the playoffs? I think that uh, the intensity and, and, and the speed of playoffs is honestly playoffs are a whole another ball game compared to regular season. It, it's it's not even close to the same teams. Teams ramp up intensity and and play with more passion and right because their season's on the line. It's just a whole other animal. Uh, next are the Princeton Posse. What do you guys anticipate that series being like? They're they're a good team, right? They're in the finals with us, and and obviously we got to respect that. But uh, I think that we're more so just focusing on our game and making sure that we're doing everything that we have been doing up until this point, rather than what what they're doing. We're we're just focused on us at this point. That's Cash Regan forward for the Kimberly Dynamiters. Thanks for being on the podcast, Cash. Awesome. I, I really appreciate you having me out here. Sinclair is going to have to chase it back, and he's got McLean all over him, and there's going to be a collision behind the net, but the riders get it. It comes right out in front, Cash Reagan, right onto his stick. On Top Shelf, the KIJHL podcast, I'm talking with my co-host, Emmanuel Sequera, who also happens to be the Director of Communications for the KIJHL. Emmanuel, wow, it's here. The Tech Cup Final is here. Can you believe it? Yeah, no, it's exciting that now we're at the, the final two, the big showdown. Princeton Posse and the Kimberly Dynamiters. What's really cool about this is we really don't know what to expect. This is the KIJHL. These two teams met once in the regular season way back in October. So it's really an open book as to what to expect. What are your thoughts on these two teams? And because that game was like so early in the season, in my opinion, I'm not sure if that game carries too much weight just because of how much the rosters will have changed since then. 
you obviously have two of the best teams in the league, but they're also two unique teams. Anybody who's watched their games, like even recently watching a Dynamiters game and hearing uh, one of the broadcast crew talking about maybe the Dynamiters don't necessarily score a lot of goals, but they also don't give up a lot of goals. Mm. And then you have a Potsy team that has a lot of depth and they've got a lot of guys that have the skill to put the puck in the net. But then at the same time, they also have the ability to keep it out but it's also helped by the fact that they have strong goalies, but so does Kimberly. And so it's going to be a unique series uh, to watch. You know, you look at the regular season and you, and you say, well, Kimberly will just uh, uh, light it up on the power play because they've got such a, a potent power play. They had the number one power play in the regular season, but that hasn't transferred over to the playoffs. And Princeton, who was only at 15%, has actually improved their power play ever so slightly, uh, so you can't even look at the two teams and say, oh, the power play is going to dictate one way or the other. And It probably will, but going into it, you certainly can't predict it. Yeah, no, for sure. And maybe this is an obvious comment, but it's really going to kind of come down to who's able to execute on a mistake made, or it's just going to come down to a really solid play that's made that it's going to be difficult for the defense or the goaltender to be able to stop. Who has really impressed you on the Kimberly side? In my recent conversation with Cash Regan, a 20-year-old player on the Dynamiter season, obviously his final season, uh, we were talking about his play, and then uh, I asked him about line mates. He was saying that from Game 4 of their series against Fernie, he's been playing with Christian Mealy and Campbell McLean, and the trio has just clicked. Using uh, Instat, the exclusive video and analytics partner of the KIJHL, from the past 10 games, I was looking at how much time that they've played, and Mealy's at the lowest, just a little bit, at 19.05. Regan is at 20 minutes and 12 seconds, and then McLean, 21.20. And so it's just interesting their usage. All three of them have equally been strong when it comes to face-offs. Yes, very much so. You look at, uh, like, uh, you, you looked at the last 10 games. I looked at the entire season, and Campbell McLean, 61%, Regan, 59% in the faceoff circle. And those are huge numbers. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. That's an important area that you want to be strong in. It is on the faceoff. Yeah, you know, also uh, with Regan, uh, uh, he leads the team in hits this season. He's number one in drawing penalties against opposition. You know, for me, I think Cash Regan is that whole line is a player to watch or is a line to watch. I want to talk a little bit about Cam Reed. Uh, he's got some great numbers, plus 26 on the season with the, with the Kimberly Dynamiters. Uh, he spends a lot of time on the ice. And one of these stats that I really love, it's one of my favorite stats, it's passes to the slot. And uh, it just speaks of the offense that I like to see. And he leads the team in passes to the slot. So, you know, for me, you look at a number of players, and you're right, you're talking about depth, but uh, you look at Regan, you look at Reed, and those are the guys that I'd be looking to uh, for Kimberly. In conversations that I've had before with head coach uh, Derek Stewart, I mean, he's talked about how he feels that Cam Reed is the best defenseman in the league. He puts up points. But even just the way that he plays away from the puck and defending has been really key to the Dynamite's success. Over on the Princeton side, who uh, who should we be watching for in the Tech Cup final? For some reason, I've kind of had an affinity for Admiral Garcha. Mm-hmm. And especially because he's got tremendous skill, obviously. He's been to Junior A camp uh, when he was with the LaRanja Ice Wolves. There's a few people to look at, like Dayton Nelson. He's driving the line. Mitchell and Bablitz, like they're all producing offensively, but I mean, they've got a lot of scoring depth, but those 
three or four guys are really uh, clicking offensively for the team. For me, it's uh, it's Curtis Gould. Wow, what a player. He leads the team by a country mile on hits. I've never seen numbers that big for the regular season and into the playoffs. He leads the team in block shots. He's a plus 37, which is second on the team for the entire season. He spends 24 minutes average ice time out there. You know, Princeton's a, a team that has, and same with Kimberly, has a lot of very talented players. The key on both sides comes down to the back end, the goaltending. Yes. We'll talk a little bit about them. I mean, we're, we're running into time here, but let's talk a little bit about the goaltenders. Anybody who's watched them play knows that they both have the ability to make big stops for the team. And when they do that, it gives the group a lot of confidence. So one of the things I do like about the goaltending for both these teams, you know, when you have a goaltender that is just off the charts, if something happens to that goaltender... There's problems. But with both Kimberly and Princeton, the so-called backup goaltenders are pretty gosh darn good. So you really don't lose anything going from one goaltender to the other. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And especially seeing that with Kimberly, Tristan Self uh, was still recovering from an injury. And so Kimberly was counting on Matt Fleet, who did a wonderful job at the start of the playoffs, getting big wins for them. Once Self was ready, then he came in and kind of just picked things up and took his team to this point. And equally so with Nate Glenn. Uh, Nate Glenn, during the regular season, showed that he's a top-flight goaltender as well. It's a luxury that both teams definitely are happy to have. So it's the Princeton Posse and the Kimberly Dynamiters in the Tech Cup Final. Uh, I know you're not a betting man, so we're not going to ask you who you think is going to come out on it, but do you expect a really solid series? I do. I think it's going to be really exciting uh, for the fans on both sides. Yeah, it'll just be kind of interesting to see how it turns out. Part of me says it wouldn't be surprised whatsoever if it goes the full distance, but you just never know, right? Emmanuel Sequeira is our co-host and the Director of Communications for the KIJHL. Thank you so much for doing this, Emmanuel. You're welcome. Thanks. Speaking with Daryl Adamson, uh, president of the Chase Heat. So, Daryl, you guys have released your new logo, which looks really good. Talk about the process of changing the look of the new logo to getting it out now. Well, the process kind of started back during the COVID year. I guess going back with the board, and our COVID year was supposed to be our tenth year. So, we come up with a kind of tenth year anniversary program that. Unfortunately, we never got to run because, you know, we didn't really get a season. So we kind of ran it in our 11th year, technically. And the feedback was it was a much more modern kind of look, more modern color scheme. I guess a lot of the feedback was the old logo was a little bit dated. We were kind of changing direction as far as the franchise and the program is concerned, adding and growing. And we just thought it might be a time for a fresh start, and it, it kind of added a bunch to marketing, and you know, we got a new logo, new new apparel, new things like that, and added a kind of a third dimension which we haven't exploded yet. Where you know now we get we have something retro to go back to in a year or two as a third jersey. The one thing that COVID taught us was you can't keep doing the same old things. Marketing has to be fresh. Perspectives have to be re- refreshing, so that's kind of where what led to it. I guess as far as the design goes, we 
kind of threw it at a couple of people, and this is kind of the consensus one that won, and that's kind of where we went. I think it looks sharp. It looks great. And then, obviously, for some people who follow hockey closely, especially at the American Hockey League level, um, it'll probably remind them of the Abbotsford Heat logo. There are differences to it. I guess the main one that stands out to me is having the, the flames on the side of the H, whereas the Abbotsford Heat one didn't have that. But uh, share about the process of going with that logo. We wanted to keep some of the elements of the old logo. You know, the stick is in there. The flames are on there. It still kind of keeps some continuity, but it was just time to more modernize it. Chase's itself is going through a pretty radical change in terms of demographic. We were always a senior citizen bedroom community and due to some external pressures and just the world changing a little bit, we've become this fantastic place that's close to a fairly large town for younger families to come out and live and raise their kids. So that all kind of tied into it. So this, there was a couple drafts and we showed this you know, myself and the person who designed it, we showed it at one of our board meetings, and that was the plan, and then it kind of got delayed for a year. That's Daryl Adamson of the Chase Heat. Daryl mentioned the year-long delay, something we don't really think about, but with supply chain issues being what they are, it can take up to nine months to get your logo on gloves and other pieces of equipment. Worth the wait, though. Love that logo. Always a fan of the Abbotsford Heat logo, and I really appreciate the modifications that Chase made to it. Up next, I talk with broadcaster Andrew Chevery about the PGHL frontrunners for the Cyclone Taylor Cup, the Ridge Meadow Flames, and the Delta Icehawks. The interview took place yesterday afternoon prior to the Flames' 7-3 win in Delta last night. Then I chat with Kyle Ireland for a take on the VIJHL Championship Series between the Oceanside Generals and the Saanich Predators. Cohen Muck sends it into the opposite corner. LaGrange will be the first one on it. He's bodied in the corner by Akimoto. Colin Jang there in support. LaGrange gets it. A shot. They score! LaGrange battling for the puck down low. Brings it to the side of the goal. Centering pass for Cohen Muck, who beats Erickson. The Flames tie up at three goals. On Top Shelf, the KIJHL podcast, I'm talking with the voice of the Ridge Meadow Flames, Andrew Chevry and uh, Andrew Cyclone Taylor Cup, just uh, a couple of weeks away. So I thought it was a good time to talk to you about what's happening in the PJHL Ray Stonehouse Cup Finals. You've got Ridge Meadows and Delta. Uh, Talk a little bit about the series because it's been a tight, tight series. Yeah, boy, is it ever, Mark. Uh, the, the Flames went into Delta in the, in the first two games and and uh, were able to pull out a couple of victories. The series came back here to Maple Ridge on Monday. It was a different Delta Sox team. They really seemed to sort some things out uh, over the weekend and, and came back and won two games in our barn. So that's where we stand right now, two games apiece going into tonight's game back in, in Delta. You know, a lot of fans would have seen Delta last season at the uh, Cyclone Taylor Cup where they were the host team and they and they pulled off a silver medal. Maybe fans in the KI don't know that much about the Ridge Meadow Flames who year in, year out, Derek Bedard puts together a very, very strong club. But this year in particular, talk a little bit about the Ridge Meadow Flames and how they've got to the finals. Yeah, you, you nailed it on the head there, Mark. Derek Bedard really does a good job cultivating talent from the younger levels. This is a bit of a carryover from last season. We had a lot of 
veterans on, on the team in excess of 10, 20 year olds on that squad that were able to sort of cultivate talent and, and mentor some of the young players. And uh, Derek's done a really good job of adding some younger players this season as well. And that's paid off. You know, we can all look at the stats and see names like Kajula. And, and my, my apologies right up front for pronunciations, but Kajula, uh, Cochan, LaGrange, White, Foster. We can see names like that in the Ridge Meadow Flames side and see that they've got great stats. But are, are there any players there for you that stand out that maybe don't get the recognition that they deserve? Yeah, I think David Steckertad is a player that is really valuable to the team. He uh, came in to uh, join the squad, played defense for the first year, but he's shown himself to be very versatile up and down the lineup, plays forward when needed, back on D, can play on the penalty kill, can play on the power play. He's just sort of a a jack of all trades for the for the team, and that's been very valuable as well. And Brandon Osborne is another one, a mm-hmm. 16-year-old who's you know, from Pitt Meadows, a really talented puck-moving defenseman, a great skater, and he was listed by, I believe, the Calgary Hitman of the WHL. You know, you look over at the Delta Icehawks, they've been strong all season long and uh, maybe uh, didn't get off to the start that they wanted to in the finals here, but they look good right now. you got players like uh, Alex Goros, uh, Braden Sinclair, Connor Merriman has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, Colin Jang, any other Delta Icehawks that have really stood out for you? Yeah, I mean, they, they've uh, have three APs playing in this series right now. Um, Salachenko, he comes from the BCEHL, and he's been really nice addition to the you know the bottom six, I guess, or the forwards. Declan Warburton is another AP that's gotten into the lineup in the final. That's provided some depth and some scoring as well. And Brandon Petrie on the back end is another AP that's shown through for them as well in the in the finals. Andrew, just before we go, an opportunity for you to talk about your podcast. You've got a video podcast, uh, Ridge Meadow Flames Weekly Update. Talk a little bit about it. Yeah, Mark, I, I transitioned from uh, from audio to, uh, to video uh, two seasons ago. I, I was sitting in front of my computer recording audio, and it just kind of occurred to me that I could incorporate highlights and the audio that I was recording into one free format on on youtube i was you know paying a a fee to to host the podcast on on a website and i thought why why would i do that when i can just do it on youtube and it and it's worked out for me um so far i I really enjoyed doing it i think incorporating all the highlights in with some commentary and some interviews really makes for a good experience for the viewers and i i have you to thank largely for for you know, pushing me in that direction, Mark, because I've been listening to your podcast for for years as I was coming up as a broadcaster, and it really inspired me to to do the work that I'm doing. Well, you know what? I, I, I when I saw you put out your first video podcast, I thought, well, good on you, man. Uh, but I re- just remembered some advice I received as a broadcaster in my early days, and that was, Mark, you have a face for radio. So uh, <laughs> good for good for you for doing it. It's a very good podcast. You can pick it up on your social ne- uh, media feed as well as the Ridge Meadow Flames. So thank you very much for doing this, Andrew, and have a great call the rest of the way through. Thanks, Mark. He holds chips out in and Miles Carson will go back to pick it up. Carson now to Leary centers it out in front. There was no white jersey there. I was knocked down by Colton Thompson. Thompson now battling. Trying to argue that his stick was tied up. They score! The Generals get the game's first goal. Jacob Thomas, left alone in front, buries it. Yeah, outstanding vision by Leary. On top shelf, the KIJHL podcast. I'm talking with the voice of the Oceanside Generals, Kyle Ireland. Kyle, so very, very glad that we have an opportunity to speak. Oh, this is great. Thanks so much for having me on. It's awesome. 
Uh, you're going to be kind of our VIJHL insider. Uh, you're the voice of the Oceanside Generals, both on hockey TV and on the radio. Gotta say, 88.5 The Beach, the only radio station in the province of British Columbia that plays all a team's home and away games for Junior B. Just uh, an incredible situation. But let's talk about these two teams, the Saanich Predators and the Oceanside Generals. Really, I don't think too much of a surprise for everybody that Oceanside's there. But talk a little bit about Saanich and their road to the playoffs and how good they've been. Yeah, Saanich has been great. I, I noticed in the offseason when Cody Carlson started putting his team together that he was building for a run. And I mean, obviously, two very tough opponents, uh, the first round against the Peninsula Panthers, and then the second round taking out the Victoria Cougars in six games, and a, a shutout in a game six as well, too, by Dryden DeMello. And Sanich is a, a great hockey club, a, a well-coached team with a number of key pieces of that team that honestly should and probably could be playing Junior A right now, but mm-hmm. they're back in Junior B, and they really stand out on the ice. I've had an argument with a number of broadcasters through the course of the season. I think Michael Hoekstra is probably, if not the best forward in the VIJHL. He's among the best. Talk a little bit about how important Michael Hoekstra is to the Sanich Predators. You have a veteran. You have a local product. He's played a number of games in Junior A, coming back and playing for Sanich this season. It's his final season of eligibility in, in junior hockey. And he's got that C on his chest for a reason. And you can see that when he talks to his teammates on the bench. You can see him in the face-off circle. He's a great centerman and so good in the face-off circle. And taking those feeds from Thomas Jenkins as well, too, has worked well all season long. And also up there as well is, is Colton Thompson. And, of course, Colton Thompson and Taylor Webb starting the season in the SJHL then coming back to the island and joining the Sandwich Predators and two massive pieces to the Sandwich Predators hockey club. Up front, obviously, Colton Thompson. He's almost a goal per game. He got uh, two points in game number one. And, and Taylor Webb on the back end. When you look at Taylor Webb, you see a hockey player. He looks like a hockey player, and he plays like a junior A player. We talked about his, his vision in game one and how he sees the ice. A defenseman that loves to join the rush, but also takes care of his own zone as well, too. So Sandwich has got a lot of key pieces to that team and a lot of weapons as well, too. Well, Let's talk about the Oceanside Generals. Uh, I've got to say, I, um, my criticism of the Oceanside Generals in the late stages of the season and and into the playoffs, even though they basically went four months without a regulation loss, is I hadn't seen a 60-minute game. We saw that on Wednesday night in Game 1. That was probably the best performance from the Oceanside Generals I've seen in a long time. Talk about the play of the Oceanside Generals and some of the key guys. Yeah, they were certainly ready to go uh, for game number one in that 6-2 victory over Sandwich. And uh, right off the bat, uh, a few great scoring opportunities and a little bit of nerves, I think, from the Generals. Obviously, back in the VIJHL final, and the building has a different feel to it when it's the VIJHL championship. So I think they were gripping the sticks a little too tight at the beginning, but certainly getting their chances. And then just took over the hockey game uh, in their own zone, in the offensive zone, uh, physicality as well, too. And you've seen lots of guys step up. Now, of course, it's the playoffs. You want to see your superstar players produce, but they almost have a target on their back because the other team is going to watch them like a hawk and they're going to be all over them. Guys like Carter Johnson, Van Herc, and Carlson. So you see guys like Miles Carson step up. He's got a four-game point streak right now. One goal and two assists in game number one. Tyler Gary, a great shorthanded wow. goal. And what confidence 
he has right now. Obviously, committing to play in the SJHL next season. His grandparents were in town just last week, and you can see him oozing with confidence right now. Jacob Thomas also with a goal in that big 6-2 victory in game number one. And you also see guys on the third and fourth line as well, too. And uh, Ben Groom stepping up, just 16 years old from Parksville. Another guy that's really stepped up is Dante Pazia. Pazia had a terrific game. So those are some of the guys that have really stepped up and uh, looking good right now for the Giants. Uh, Just before I let you go, is there any better defensive tandem than when Brady Van Herc and Brendan Carlson are on the ice together? Because I can't think of any. I don't think there is. And it's just such a treat that Junior B fans get to witness these two players play. You know what? And Kyle, we didn't even get a chance to talk about Ashton Sadaskis and uh, Matthew Hutchinson, who have been absolutely spectacular all season long in goal. We just run out of time. So I want to thank you so much for doing this. Kyle Ireland is the voice of the Oceanside Generals on Hockey TV and 88.5 The Beach. Thank you again for doing this. Thanks so much. That was a, a lot of fun, Mark. This is Top Shelf, the KIJHL podcast. Our thanks this week to broadcasters Tim Hogg, Bob Scott, Dan McSkimming, Andrew Chevery, Ian Holmes, and Kyle Ireland. KIJHL Director of Communications, Emmanuel Sequera. Cash Regan of the Kimberly Dynamiters, GM Mark McNaughton of the Princeton Posse, and President Daryl Adamson of the Chase Heat. We'd also like to thank Hockey TV, which brings our players closer to their families and friends back home. I'm Mark Berry. This is Top Shelf, the KIJHL podcast. We're back in seven days.